hey, I want to welcome everybody that's with me, but there's a whole group of people, uh, and you are all over the place. Um, I, got, I got an email from someone in Iowa. Hello in Iowa. I went to the truck stop this last summer. The one, the big one. It was, I'm sorry, it was underwhelming. I'm, I just, I was going to tell you, this is fantastic. It just, yeah, it was a big truck stop. But uh, so anyways, wherever you're listening from or tuning in or anything like that, we've, we've been in a series where we're talking about what Christians believe. So if it's your first time, great. Uh, go get caught up if you can. But uh, we're talking about what we believe. And so I want to tell you a story that I read about. It happened in the 50s. Uh, there, there was an era where people would, usually in the evening, would gather around a radio, like the whole family would gather around the radio and listen to different shows. And there was a show in the 50s started by a guy named Edward Moreau. He, he, he started the show, and, and, and he started very specifically, This I Believe was the title. What it was is This I Believe was where they would, he or, or others, they would read essays. People would send in essays about what they believe. And you're like, well, like, was it, was it monitored? Not really. Like, it was, what do you believe? Write about it. And it would get read by, by people like uh, Harry Truman, Helen Keller, uh, Jackie Robinson, Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, all these like heavy hitters that you and I learn about in history class, if you remember that. But also what I read about that you didn't have to be some majorly nationally, globally known person. They, they had essays written by regular, what you and I would call everyday people with everyday jobs. And they would write about what they believe. In fact, nowadays, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I think there is a continual gathering of these essays. Now, if you go and search them, you're going to find essays. You're like, David, you're promoting something you should not. Um, I'm not suggesting that everything that everyone wrote in is good. Uh, what I'm suggesting is something that you, you know, but we've been bringing up here. Uh, what we believe always matters. It does. It, it always has. It always will. I just wanted to give you an example of the 50s, how in the 50s, it was a big enough deal that, that as people were actually going through uh, what was McCarthyism and there was Cold War like, ideas and, and symptoms, and, and the people were starting to get stirred up in their hearts and start to be like, I'm worried. I don't like how the world is changing and they begin to actually find comfort by bringing up what they believe. This happens to you and I. Let's just pretend like you and I had maybe a past 18 months that was weird. And what it did is it stirs up in you and I a little bit about what we believe. I found myself regularly going, I didn't know I believe what I actually am believing right now. It, it always matters what you believe. And why? It's because we build our lives on what we believe. Right now, you're, you're constructing your, your version of life, whether you like it or not, based on what you believe. And all of us have a tendency to even shift our beliefs throughout life. We learn things, we experience things, we, we realize what's true and what's not. And uh, so this whole series we've been doing, we've utilized the Apostles' Creed, which is written a long time ago by uh, people who wanted to make sure that Christians would never forget what Christians actually believe. Even deeper than that, what is true. And you have to agree with me, at least hope internally, 
that when life goes crazy, sometimes you and I question what we believe and we begin to struggle with what is true just because of our circumstances. And so it's been, I, I've loved going through the Apostles' Creed where we're learning about what we believe and why we believe it. And it's a big deal. And so I want to finish the Apostles' Creed, but before I can get to it, I've got to state something that's going to be really awkward at first, okay? Like, I find it extremely awkward what I'm about to say to you. So please continue with me after I, we just, it's not going to go dark. Just follow me here. Okay, here. Christians believe in death. Yeah, left turn. He's like, we were just, yeah. So Christians believe a lot of things. You, whether you're Christian or not, believe a lot of things. I wanted to bring up the Christians believe in death. And you're like, I think I do too. And I'm not a Christian. No, but listen, listen, oh, I know that. And it's fine. But I want to bring up the fact it's true because it's important as we begin to finish up this Apostles' Creed that you know Christians believe in death. Like it's really, it really happens. You can, the Bible talks about it in Genesis and then on. uh, For you were made from dust and to dust you will return. I have yet to encounter a person who argues with me that death is a made up conspiracy theory. No one has argued this with me. In fact, I think there's a saying that, that what, what's 100% certain is death and taxes. Taxes, right? Mmm, taxes. Well, I think we need to have that, like what I just brought up. I think that's important, and I think it will make sense as we unpack the end of the Apostles' Creed to know why it's important to actually start with we believe death as morbid as it is, right, is real and something you got to deal with. So let's go to the Apostles' Creed, and you'll see that we are at the end. I left the amen out of there just because I'm not going to preach on it. Uh, Here we go. The last one, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. This is why I bring up uh, Christians believe in death, but Christians also believe in resurrection. Now, some of you are like, I thought we already talked about this. Jesus, he came back to life. You're right, he did. Did you also know that Christians believe that Jesus talked about, the Bible talks about, and Christians believe strongly that there is a resurrection that occurs with Christians? We're going to talk about it. And I think you and I have got to get out of, well, that sounds mystical and weird, so I'm going to leave it alone, and deal with it maybe when I get to that point in my life. I think you and I should deal with it now. So uh, why is this important? Let me show you. Uh, if, if you look at Job, if you don't know much about the book of Job, some of you are somewhat familiar with the Bible where you're like, yeah, that's the, that's the book in the Bible that talks about how like, this guy has the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst days and time that we were like, please, Lord, never let me have that guy's life. We know the end of the story, so we're like, well, maybe it's not so bad. But no, anyways, when he goes through some major stuff, it's, it's bad. If you don't know this about the book of Job, you may not know this because it's not in chronological order. It's the oldest book in the Bible. So what I wanted to show you in the oldest book of the Bible, something that you and I, that we mess with today that was being messed with a long time ago, can the dead live again? If so, this would give me hope. 
through all my years of struggle, and I would eagerly await the release of death. What I love that Job teaches us is that one is the Bible is extremely, extremely relevant. That a long, long time ago, people were wondering about, wait a minute, if death isn't permanent, that would change how I hope. And I know this because I'm a pastor, that a large portion of us are deathly afraid of death because we have some uncertainties that haven't quite locked in yet and we deflect and defer. And Job tells you right there that, well, I mean, here's where he's going to find his hope that if there is a resurrection, that if for him, if death is not final. So I'll ask you the question, um, how do you Hope. Just inside, think about it. Just think about it for a second. How, how do you find hope? How do you go about hoping? Some of you, you, you go work out, and for, somehow that gets you hope. And I don't know. I know there's chemical things that happen, but it just has yet to solve some of my problems. So uh, hope could be uh, financial security for you, that you would think, I would just have absolute hope in this life if my bank account was a certain amount guaranteed for the rest of, well, as long as I live. Some of you, it's if people like you. If, if, if that were, <clears throat> if a certain person likes you, that that gives you this hope, and that's the only hope that you wanted. I remember being in middle school thinking, if, if she likes me, the rest of my life is gonna be epically perfect. Many of us have done this. We've, we've attached Hope to a relationship, to a, to a bank account, to our, to our health, uh, to a job, to, to a family situation, to a place that we live. And, and many of us do this. I wonder where you get your hope. Let me ask a little deeper question. I wonder where you get your hope when life feels hopeless. When your circumstances have nothing to prove to you that life is absolutely amazing. Where do you get your hope? Well, we've, we've got stuff like the Apostles' Creed, where Christians a long time ago said, you know what? We've got to remember that we have hope no matter how life plays out, no matter how this ends, all that kind of stuff that we see, what we see around us, that everyone needs to remember that there is the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. If you aren't quite sure what they're saying, do not feel bad. Because <laughs> someone was like, like, how does this work? Well, let me show you more Bible stuff. But someone may ask. I love how like, they read our mail now. How will the dead be raised? It's a question I have. Like, is it like the movies? Because that would be scary. <laughs> like, how, like, I don't know if you wonder this stuff. I do. I wonder, like, how... But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What, what kind of bodies will they have? I think, like, I mean, I'm bodybuilder, maybe? I don't know. Well, what kind of bodybuilder, or no, what kind of bodies will they have? Uh, what a foolish question. And this kind of makes us feel bad already, right? We're like, oh, that's what I was asking. When you put a seed into the ground, and this is good. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it what? Dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow. 
but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting, then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. If you will read scripture, and this, this will take quite a bit of a study, but you can read all throughout the Bible, it talks about the resurrection of, of people, of, of human beings, It talks about if you follow Jesus as your Savior, that there will be a day that 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 this becomes so real to you, but but it's supposed to come become real like now, not 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 a a, a day. So again, if you were to read about it, what you'll learn about this, because you might be wondering, like, okay, so so if I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, and and the Bible says, and the pastor guy says, and and the long time ago Christian said, and God said, and all this resurrection. Like, what, what am I like when I get resurrected? What, what's it like? Because in the movies, sometimes, like, when maybe when it looks like they're dead and they come back, they still have, like, the wound from what killed them, or, or, or they still have the, the disease that they had that killed them. So I, I, I just quick summary of what the Bible will teach you about what resurrection is like. You just need to know this, simple but profound. Total physical healing. It means that when you are resurrected after death, you will not wake up and go, like, I, I'm still completely broken. I've got friends and family with cancer right now who are followers of Jesus Christ. When they are resurrected, they will not have that cancer. Scripture teaches this. I'm not not just trying to be nice, okay? It speaks of this. I love how the world has given a great deal of attention to even mental health. And I would tell you that if that is something that you have wrestled with and it torments you and you just wish you could have victory over it, I will tell you that you will not go into the presence of God having to continue to deal with that. According to Scripture, you will be, you will be healed completely. There will not be any more pain or torment or brokenness in you. This is why people like Job are saying, well, that would give me some hope. And this is why Christians were hanging on going, yeah, this life is not fantastic, but one day. But I know some of us are skeptics. I know some of us are skeptics. And here's a question that I wonder if we wrestle with. Is our resurrection a made-up fairy tale because we're afraid of death? You okay with the pastor asking that right now? I mean, it's, I mean come on. Some of us are like, that resurrection stuff seems so weird. I mean, it's good for like sci-fi movies and stuff, but, but it seems like something that Christians have assembled because uh, they want to be optimistic. They want to tell people, hey, the next life is fantastic, or we'll meet again, or we'll be reunited. Can we admit that sometimes there's this, is this just a fairy tale that we're buying because we're afraid of reality? makes me think of uh, something that has been wrestled with for a while. Uh, if you don't know this about Thomas Jefferson, he had a Bible, but I want to show you his Bible. Um, I'm not making this up. You can look at this. This is, this is, this is his Bible. In fact, it, would, it eventually didn't have his name on it. Eventually, they would actually call this the Jefferson Bible. Uh, here's what he did is uh, he particularly loved the stuff about Jesus in the Bible. Maybe, maybe that's you. I mean, I, I, I love the stuff about Jesus as well. He didn't, he, he struggled with some of the other stuff. According to what we have written uh, is that uh, the supernatural stuff, the, what you might call, or I might call the mystical stuff, wasn't so certain. It wasn't scientific. 
It wasn't like, I don't know how to, how to lock this in. So what he would do is, and I'm not making these up. I, that's why I had to show you a picture. He took a razor blade out and some scissors at times, and he would cut out the, many of the miracles of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, because when he read it, he's like, no way, no way, uh-uh. And so it's called the Jefferson Bible. I think he whittled it down to uh, uh, 84 pages, the Bible. Some of you are like, well, that would be a much easier Bible to understand. <laughs> and I agree with you. I agree with you. If you start taking things out of the Bible or start saying things in the Bible are no longer relevant or they're changed, you know what that does? It, it does make the Bible a bit more comprehensible. It makes it a bit more practical in the sense of like, I totally understand it, I totally get it, I got no problems with it, I totally understand God and, and what he wants. I, I, that's what Thomas Jefferson, according to history, was going after. In fact, uh, the only reason we have this is because it was found after his death. He wasn't something he was trying to distribute because I think he was insecure. So I've got to put this in the middle of the sermon. I've already been telling you about things in the Bible, about the resurrection that for many of us can weird us out. That the idea that you and I will die and some of us will come back to life and go to heaven, some of us are like, hmm, I don't know. Leads me to another question. What's your approach to this? What approach to the Bible are you taking? Have you been taking Thomas Jefferson's approach? Where what you read or what a pastor uh, brings up to you, you're like, mm, 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 mm. Snip, snip, cut that out. No. Right? Like, is that, is that the approach? Or are you willing, instead of you informing the Bible, would you let the Bible actually inform you? I wish more people would let the Bible inform them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you on a, well, we'll see how this goes. I don't know. Since we're talking about death and we're talking about afterlife, I think, well, there's a couple places you should expect that I'll bring up with you. Heaven and hell. So, uh, so you know I'm not making it up. There's lots of places in the Bible this talk is talked about, okay? I thought, well, as a church, we talk a lot about Jesus. So what did Jesus have to say about this stuff? Well, while Jesus was on the cross dying, uh, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. Now let me stop just for a second. If you study the life of Jesus, you're going to learn that right before he began his ministry, uh, there, the Bible details a, a time where he's tempted by Satan. What you'll find is actually the very same temptations here. All I want to tell you is um, stop giving Satan so much credit. He's not very creative. He has a tendency to bring back to you over and over and over the same temptations. So you're the Messiah, are you? Uh, prove it by saving yourself. And us too, which there's a selfish part going, and if you happen to be, I mean. <laughs> and us too, while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, don't miss this. And Jesus replied, Jesus said it out loud. It's documented. I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. 
You have to take that and say, um, I don't know if I want to call it heaven or not, but Jesus said that that day, this guy was going to be with him in a place that Jesus called paradise. Now, I, I wouldn't get into descriptions of paradise. I don't really think it's worth our time. Because you know what paradise is? Amazing. Okay? But if you want to know, did Christians just out of optimism come up with the idea that when, when we die, that we're actually then resurrected by God and we go to some amazing place? Did we come up with that? No. Jesus brought it up. So either Jesus is a good moral teacher or he is the truth, the life, the way, all that we need to know. So let's go to the other side. Jesus was telling a story, but not just a story, he was teaching. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you. He's bringing up an illustration here of goats and sheep and all that. And you can read it. It's in the Bible, Matthew 25. Away with you, you cursed ones, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. I'm going to bring up something, and I know this feels dark, uh, but I want you to notice that there is a place for the devil and the demons, but not just exclusively for the devil and the demons, that there's a place that additional people will be at. The reason I bring this up with you is you need to know something that I'm just going to out right now. According to statistics, uh, 72% of Christians believe in heaven, which baffles me. You know what doesn't baffle me? 58% of Christians believe in hell. I don't see how you can conclude that. Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Um, I get stirred up when I read this because I'm, I'm concerned that someone misinterpret that I find great joy in talking about hell. I do not. Uh, I don't want you ever experiencing it. I'm not going to try to make you afraid of it. I've been in those kinds of sermons where someone scared me into heaven because hell seemed like the worst of the two options. Now, I'm just going to tell you, here's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I'm going to tell as many people as I can that this is true, that Jesus spoke it as true, and I don't want you to go to hell. And unfortunately, though, many people read this and say, um... That just doesn't seem right. Let me take you back. Uh, do you know why heaven is so cool? Paradise is so cool? Uh, some of you are like uh, the gold streets. Some of you are hyped about potential robes. I don't know if that's what we'll be wearing. <laughs> some of you are hoping you get the option of wings I'd, I'd, or sit on a cloud with a harp. Uh, most of that, frankly... Here, I'm going to say it because I know someone sounds boring to me. 
I'm pointing something out that Jesus said. This is what makes paradise awesome. I assure you today that you'll be with me. Many of us are not attracted to the idea of of heaven or paradise because we're like, well, that just kind of sounds boring. I don't want to sing all day. Like, do you know that those are things that I think that we've assembled? Maybe it's a, a show or a movie or a conversation you've had. But what I want to land for you is that the best part is that we get to be with God. And I got to tell you that that is the absolute most epic thing you could ever experience. So let's, let's recap. <laughs> Jesus said death is real. Jesus said heaven is real. Jesus said hell is real. And perhaps you're still asking a question, so I thought I would put it on the screen here. Um, is God loving if hell is real? Justifiable question, I think. Like, have you ever wondered that? Like, I get the fact that God loves us and creates paradise. Many of us actually don't have a problem with that. According to 72%, people are like, that sounds cool, but hell, no, that doesn't seem logical or loving from God. Is God loving if hell is real? Well, let me show you that I think we, I, we know the answer. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone, just stop for a second, so that everyone, not the cool people. Not so that everyone who went to church since they were a baby. Not so that everyone has the Bible memorized, so that everyone who does everything perfect all the time. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Hell does not make God unloving if God's like, I'm creating an option for everyone who wants to not go to hell, to not go to hell. If God created hell and never gave anyone a choice, you might have somewhat of an argument to say, I'm not sure he's as loving as we give him credit for. But here it says, Jesus shows up out of love. So hell is not unkind. Actually, Jesus reveals how much God does love us. There's a version of the Bible, it's a paraphrase, written in language that, well, at least helps your pastor understand the Bible. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, since, since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death, by embracing death, taking it into himself. He destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life. Oh, scared to death of death. And we have the Apostles' Creed that tried to remind you and I that we believe in the resurrection, not just of Jesus Christ, but that one day we will be with the Lord in paradise. So like a good pastor, I've come up with a corny phrase. It's the way we'll remember it. Jesus went into the grave so we can have hope after the grave. If you want to know what Christians desperately wanted to remember because the world will try to change it and, and the devil will try to change it and our circumstances will try to manipulate it a little bit, you can live this life with hope no matter what your circumstances are. 
because this life does not compare to the time that we call eternity. So what do we do? Uh, let me take you back to everyone who believes in him because I read this to you. And, and sometimes we're like, so all I got to do is like, like show up to church and that means I got it. I got my ticket. Or, or do, I, do I just like pray a prayer one time, whether I mean it or not, I just kind of say the spell and the spell like works on me. Well, according to scripture, here's what, when, when Jesus said, when this talk about everyone who believes in him, it starts off with trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, meaning you aren't perfect, you believe that, you know that, and there's no way you can have access to God because you aren't perfect. And you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of those sins. Then you commit to follow and submit to Jesus like forever. It's not a, like a, well, I did it as a kid, and so I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do whatever I want now, and I'm going to cut things out of the Bible and make up my own version of this and, and worship tree bark and pop, and, uh, but I prayed the prayer when I was a kid. No, no, it's, it's, I've decided to follow Jesus. I trust in him for the forgiveness of my sins, and I'm going to devote my life to him. You will not be perfect in doing this, just so you know. You will have days that you will regret, that selfishness will step in and take control, and you will have days that you think you're actually better than you actually are. And then when this becomes real to you, you show people who Jesus is for the rest of your life. Whatever you believe about afterlife, please mess with what Jesus said about afterlife. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And he would love to spend eternity with you. So I want to do this. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to, I want to lead you in a time of prayer I believe most of life's choices do actually begin with a decision. If you've never invited Jesus to forgive your sins and to, in essence, take over your life as in where you just submit to him, say, whatever you want, I'm going to do. What you say is true, I'm going to believe is true. What you teach, I'm going to learn and apply. If you've never invited him into your life, you can do that right now. I'll help you again. No magic words. Just let me help you start the conversation. You just privately speak this to him. He'll hear you. God, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you forgive every one of my sins and cleanse me and make me pure to where I get to spend eternity with you? I invite you into my life, every corner of it. Lord, would you just take over and lead me? And God, when tomorrow comes, and I'm tempted to go back to my old ways, my old life. Interrupt me. Remind me that I actually believe you are real and what you said is real. God, you have my life. I follow you. I'm surrendered to you. I love you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's no coincidence that, uh, that this week there are people being baptized. It's no coincidence that we just talked about this and about death and life and, and people are going to go into water. Now, I want to explain something very quickly because it can get weird. Come on. Many of us have gathered and, and we're going to watch people like 
willingly get into water, willingly let another human being shove them down in the water. And I know some of us are so used to it. They were like, oh, no, 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 listen, listen. To many who have never experienced this, like, what is this? What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. It signifies that your old life is dead, and you're okay with that. You want that. And being brought up out of the water signifies that you are living a new life, committed to a new life through Jesus Christ. Jesus was baptized. He, he led with this. It was awesome. But I want to invite you into this. Uh, if you've never been baptized at all, if you've never, maybe you were as a kid and it wasn't your choice, as a church we practice what's called believer's baptism, meaning that if you are a believer, you have made that decision, then Scripture teaches, Jesus modeled that you should be baptized. So uh, here's the deal. No excuses. Um, everyone at our East location, um, everyone with me, um, if you didn't come prepared to get baptized and you're like, well, I will next time, guess what? We have shorts and shirts and towels in preparation that maybe the Holy Spirit would talk to someone in the midst of gathering and say, it's your turn to get baptized. It's your turn to publicly declare that you follow Jesus, that you believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that one day you will also be reunited with him in paradise, that your sins are forgiven and you no longer have to live in shame and regret. Some of you think I'm staring at you right now. I'm not. Uh, sometimes our hearts begin to increase in speed, and we're like, what's going on? And I teach my kids, like, yeah, how do you know it's God talking? And I tell them as a good reverend, I don't know sometimes. <laughs> and then I tell them, but sometimes you know and you just aren't sure you want to listen. So I want to challenge our whole church. If you've never been baptized and you feel the Holy Spirit saying, it's your turn, we're ready for that. I would challenge you to also be ready as well. So I'm going to turn everything over to our location pastors, and we're going to baptize people and celebrate.